Welcome to another edition of Anglican Unscripted, episode 640. I'm Kevin Carlson. I'm George Conger. Today's January 12, 2020. All right, welcome to another program. No, I'm not back in the RV yet. Getting there. Okay, we're still up here in Connecticut. This is the last day of cleaning the condo, packing our boxes in the storage, and then uh, tomorrow we're driving down. We're driving back to Florida. I think I just can't talk because I'm so cold. Uh, normally, when we're here in January in Connecticut, the temperature is 35, 45. It's it's not unpleasant. It's a little bit cool. It's been 25, George. It's been cold at night. I wake up every morning, there's frost in my car, which happened a couple times in Florida. You guys are innocent in this. But it, it's time to, to, to head on down and do what COVID allows us to do, and that's kind of work from everywhere. How you doing, George? I am great. I had in... Uh... My children are 25, and I've been a priest for about 25 years now, 30 years. And for the first time in my ordained life, my children wrote to me and said, Daddy, we're so proud of you. <sighs> yes. If you remember, folks, about a year ago, I did a wedding in the Caribbean for a Victoria's Secret oh, model sure. named, yes. named Devin Windsor. Well, Laura wrote the other day, said, Daddy, there's a video of you speaking in your radio voice that has a million and a half views on Instagram. I said, what are you talking about, Bonnie? And evidently this model has put out her wedding weekend videos, like four minutes on YouTube or Instagram or whatever it is. And there's a portion of me re reading the wedding vows in, as Laura says, my radio voice with me in the background and all the models and everything. And so... I finally earned the respect of my children <laughs> through a Victoria's Secret wedding model. A wedding of a Victoria's Secret model. Sure. Uh, oh, my. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. I have three children. And I remind them all the time that, you know, I'm getting called by the warranty guy for car warranties in India more than you call me. You know, you, just, you need to up the standard here because... You know, when marketers maybe, are calling maybe me. I, maybe I can ask this, because I'm not getting any royalties. Maybe I can ask that they put in a link to Anglican sure. Inc., Anglican Unscripted, on the uh, on the video, on the wedding video. Well, we'll do the opposite. We'll, I'm going to put a link so people can watch it in our show notes. Uh, sometimes <laughs> I, re I refer to show notes. You have to go to the YouTube page, click on the video, and right below there are the notes and comments. Um, that's how you see show notes. So if I refer to show notes during the show, that's where you'll find them. Sometimes they show up in Facebook. George, lots of news today. Um, and this is going to be another program specifically about COVID and its effects on the church. And when it talks about the church, it's going to talk about freedom of speech. If it talks about freedom of church, uh, speech, it's going to talk a little bit about businesses. And it's kind of an ever-exploding topic. And I say that because... It's crazy. You know, that this last four years, eight years, 12 years, you just go back in time and things just get crazier because we as a nation, specifically here in America, we're becoming more divided. There's the hate him, there's the love him. There's very few in the middle. 
There's the hate the GOP. There's the love the GOP. There's very few in the middle. There's the hate the Democrats. There's the love the Democrats. There's very little middle ground anymore. And those are the hard things that living in this nation that is a powder keg uh, kind of makes, which is made worse by COVID. And so we want to kind of talk about all that. But the first thing I want to talk about is uh, how this is affected in the future legally. Uh, you, as a member, member, as a priest at a church, probably are going to have trouble bringing in AA, the Boy Scouts, the Girl Scouts again, because if they get COVID, George, they can sue you. And I think you're that, absolutely right, Kevin. I think that the next wave of COVID is going to be the lawsuits. After everybody gets vaccinated, they're going to do the backtracing. You know, I was at George Congress Church for an AA meeting, and that's where I got the COVID cough. And I was at Walmart, and I had worn my pajama bottoms, and that's where I got my COVID cough. And you're going to find this lawsuit nation get really happy because that's what we like to do, George. Well, I'm holding up a letter from the church church insurance company. Uh -oh. Can you read that? I can. Church Insurance Company of Vermont. Uh, we're being given coverage uh, for COVID-related uh, claims, uh, but we've got a whacking huge deductible. And so what's happening is that uh, you're exactly right, Kevin. And we're starting to see it in places like California and New York, and eventually it will spread out to Hooterville of people going into a public place, like a restaurant, like a church, like a bowling alley, and catching COVID, and then turning around and suing for damages to the host of suing AA for the meeting, suing the individuals leading the meeting, and then suing the the venue. We got it. I got an email from I got an email from the Diocese of Central Florida with two pages single space of restrictions don't 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 and part of it was no outside groups no boy scouts no aa no bible studies nothing until this is all done and part of it is well we don't want to spread the disease but the back half and the bigger half is we can't afford the financial hit now the state of florida I think something was tried on the national level. Is that correct, Kevin? Uh, uh, yeah, President Trump in his last stimulus package says the most important thing in this stimulus package is to give everybody $2,000. Back then it was $1,200. And that we're going to have tort reform where you cannot sue people, uh, businesses, individuals, or uh, not-for-profits if they get COVID in your uh, facilities. Yeah, and that failed. But I think the states, some states are taking it up. I think it, it's being discussed or debated when the Florida legislature comes back into session. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing actually the difference among this. Non-Americans sort of view the United States as a single whole. And that's really not the case. Yes, culturally, we're a whole. Yes, we all watch the same TV shows. But the way we do things is very different. Um, the state of California, for example, its response to the COVID crisis has been higher taxes, lockdowns, more restrictive. Um, the response of the state of Florida is, well, maybe we should have a tax holiday to encourage spending. 
uh, we're not going to have any lockdowns. We're, in other words, each state adopts its own policy. Some states give out the vaccines based on social criteria. We're going to do first responders, teachers, grocery store clerks first. Florida is saying we're going to start with the oldest and work down because it's the oldest and the rationale is it's the oldest who are the most at vulnerable risk. Yeah. at risk. Um, but the wave that is to come, as you have aptly said, Kevin, is of is not born by viruses. It's born by something even more insidious, and that's by lawyers. It, it's uh, gonna, well, this is for my foreign viewers. The average American knows how litigious this country is. Uh, you may or may not know that I was out for a bike ride uh, September 11th, 2019, and a car driven by a 25 or 26 year old individual had a head on with my bicycle. Yes, it hurt a lot. It destroyed the bicycle and really hurt my leg a lot. And I was uh, on painkillers for about a month. And I told his insurance company that I do not intend to sue. I intend to have them pay for the hospital bill for my bicycle and uh, the prescription medicine I was on. They were aghast that I was not going to sue. I had to sign so many different pieces of paper that I was not going to sue that they just didn't believe me and I'm not going to sue. My daughter uh, was driving one of my cars about a year and a half ago, just lolling down the street and a child ran out and and ran right into the side of her car she's driving 20 miles an hour just just about a block from here her father who saw this accident and saw his son run into the side of my daughter's car and fall over sued me for i think the total was a hundred and thirty thousand dollars i have geico insurance here in america we were we're afforded car insurance and Geico said, we're going to settle. No, this is frivolous. <laughs> the child ran into the car. It was the, my daughter tried to avoid him. You know, it just the police said it was the child's fault. Uh, and, you know, this is frivolous lawsuit. And guess what? They settled. The, the guy got 30 or 40,000. Yeah. And I just that is America litigation. Yeah, and on TV here in Florida, we have these law law firms that advertise mm -hmm. uh, uh, Morgan and Morgan. Uh, if you have a slip and a fall, if, um, sure. we will represent you at no cost to you. So, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that the fellow uh, whose child ran into your daughter in the car had to fork up a few thousand dollars mm -hmm. to pay a retainer to get an attorney to take the case. The attorney is pushing, looking for cases because if he wins, he gets a third. So if 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 you settled for thirty thousand dollars, the attorney pockets a quick ten thousand yeah. for two or three threatening letters. And so that they, they, they used to be called them ambulance chasers. I don't know if they still do, but the the uh, and and so the uh, the threat to churches and a small business is very real. Not because people are venal, some people are, mm -hmm. but because the way the system has worked on contingency fees, uh, you can basically throw as much muck out there on the walls and see what sticks, and you get rewarded for it. You can sue now, there for are, free. 
Yeah. And there are genuine bona fide cases where contingency fees are necessary when people, when corporations act evilly. We've all seen, mm-hmm. you know, the movies that portray the heroic lawyer fighting on behalf of Sally Fields uh, right. for her rights. <laughs> or what was that? Paul Newman in The Verdict. That's uh, a, another good choice, yes. Yes, those, you know, sometimes when evil exists, it needs to be, there needs to be penalty for evil. Mm-hmm. And a financial penalty is a good penalty but that is so rare these days it's the the norm is what you're describing so i may if the diocese tells me to not allow a into my building my first reaction is well, who the hell are they to tell me what to do because you know they don't it's my building it's not their building they don't pay the rent they don't pay the insurance i need to generate income to cover the costs well, after that thought disappears after 30 seconds, they're right. Because if I, I can't, um, let's do a, a for, just for fun. Um, my pledge income is, the pledge cards are about $100,000 below where we want to be. Mm-hmm. And it's not because people have all left or people don't want to have died. It's rather, and the people are still giving at the rate they gave last year, those 100000 Rather, they just, the chaos and the uncertainty, they don't want to put on a piece of paper, I'm going to give the church $200 a month for the next year. I still have their check for 200 for January, but they're not willing to be nailed down because of the chaos. Okay, into this financial precarious position, and I'm doing really well compared to most Episcopal churches. Sure. Most Episcopal churches are weeks um, away from insolvency. In other words, they're almost living hand to mouth right now. What if, what happens if I get a hundred thousand dollar lawsuit, and my deduct and the church pension and the church insurance company settles it, and I've got a twenty five thousand dollar deductible? You know, Ouch, that's yeah. the difference between open the doors and closing the doors. Yeah. And um, so, I mean, and, that's- and that's a reality. And and let's say you run a small restaurant. Mm-hmm. That's going to happen if you're in California. No, absolutely. And I mean, that's part of the COVID chaos. Another part is what has happened to our freedoms? Okay. And people say there's so much government overreach in California. They shut down the restaurants. They shut down the churches. They shut down the not-for-profits. Uh, they shut down everything in order to stop people from getting COVID. I've been uh, to Florida in the South recently, and they're much less restrictive. Uh, face face <laughs> mask on face are optional uh, for the most part in florida even though you go to a walmart or you go to mcdonald's it says says uh, face masks are mandatory to enter this building you go in nobody has the face mask except uh the 85 year old lady who's there to get her prescriptions and that's the big difference here in uh connecticut you don't go into the building unless you're wearing the face mask it's the threat of Susan and I went. Susan and I had a treat, and we went out mm-hmm. to dinner last night to a uh, southern barbecue, like There's one of no these places there. with a big, with a big <laughs> pig on the side of the building. And uh, the waiters and waitresses don't. The wait staff. I need to be politically sure, correct. Absolutely, they weren't wearing masks. The hostess wasn't wearing a mask. None of the guests were wearing masks, mm-hmm. and that wasn't unusual. As you say, you go into the supermarket, half the people, quarter of the people may be wearing masks. It depends. 
If it's after work mm-hmm. and you've got the people on their way home, nobody's wearing a mask. Yeah. If it's 10 a.m., old lady shopping time, everybody's wearing a mask. Uh, but nobody is compelled against their will to do what they don't want to do. Here in Connecticut, you are. If you don't want to wear a mask, you're not allowed to go into the buildings, and they will call the cops, and the cops will uh, you know, involve themselves in the situation. And a lot of people say this is government overreach. And I think COVID has revealed exactly how far the willing how far the governments in our world are willing to go. Uh, Some have said, we're not doing a thing. Not some. One or two have said, we're not doing a thing. Most have said, we're going to try and dissuade the spread of COVID through restrictions of our citizenships. And some countries are much worse than others, uh, specifically Europe and here in northern and western uh, the United States. Uh, well, we don't we don't want to paint California as all bad. Far from it. It's a no. wonderful state. Sure. I mean, if the tax, I wouldn't mind living there if the taxes weren't so bad and the housing prices weren't no. so high. But like, for instance, the sheriff of Orange County, which is to the south uh, south of Los Angeles, a very lovely part of the world. We have mm-hmm. we have viewers from Newport Beach, uh, sure. Costa Mesa. He has said, the governor has said, we're going to, Governor Newsom has said all these things that we need to do. Uh, and the uh, the sheriff of Orange County says, I don't have the deputies to waste going around policing whether people are having New Year's Eve parties when I have to patrol against crime and rape and murder and drug charges and burglaries. I'm not wasting police resources to do this sort of virtue signaling PC policing. And then you have uh, these stories we read in, uh, usually it's the British newspapers of, uh, or we had this case up in Montreal where the police uh, came and arrested a family of six for having a uh, New Year's Eve party uh, in their own home uh, because only two of the six people actually lived there. The rest were family members who joined and they were uh, handcuffed and taken away. Well, I think you Me. mentioned last week that we now have the reporting, the Karens, the people who call up and say, listen, the Andersons across the street, they bought a turkey that serves nine, and I see seven over there. That's a violation. Yeah. I, uh, some people may know that Pavlik Morozov. Now, that's me. Now you're aging yourself. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> During the during the Stalinist era, in the collectivization of the Ukraine, children were encouraged by the state to inform on their parents if they were hiding grain, mm-hmm. because the communists were going around seizing all the grain from the farmers. And a boy named Pavlik Morozov informed on his parents that his father was hiding grain underneath the floorboards of their barn. And the, fi- and the grain was came and the father was arrested and taken away and shot. Well, the villagers were so angry about this boy, they murdered him. And the Stalinist regime deified Pavlik Morozov. And so up until the collapse of the Soviet Union, if you were a young pioneer, which was the Russian version of the Boy Scouts, you learned the story of the young boy who put the party ahead of his father. I know it's hyperbole to say that, but are we heading in that direction? Well, we call them Karens, but they're basically little Pavlik Morozovs. That was where the, we the, have. You know, that was the strength of China. 
you know, the, the, the Maoist empowered the children to be the informers and uh, to report on their parents. We found that in North Korea, it uh, exists today, that the fastest way to overtake a nation is not through armed combat. You go in there and you teach the children what they need to know. And here we've taught them to be social justice warriors and not educated students in written word, in mathematics, in anything other than climate change and whatever we want to teach them. We have liberalized our education. And how far are we from that, George? We are there. And it's a, and we're not just talking politics, folks. We're talking a deep religious, spiritual, theological, uh, in my mind, issue, mm -hmm. which is the destruction of the family, the agenda that is being pushed down our throats. Uh, Gavin would, Gavin uh, would, uh, Ashenden would talk about this and he would use the, word, the phrase cultural Marxism. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not as uh, deft in the analysis as he is on this issue, but we're having a push by certain groups in society to destroy the family to break the family bonds. And part of this informer culture, the Karen culture, the Pavlik Morozov culture is to elevate the state or elevate the, uh, the group above the family, above, above, and event, essentially above God, not to love your neighbor as yourself, but to love the state above all things and make sure that your neighbor does what the state says. And to me, this is the most profound consequence of the COVID crisis, which is the destruction of personal autonomy and spiritual autonomy. We are reaching a point where uh, the government, the Virgi governor of Virginia, Governor Northam, uh, or Nancy Pelosi, are saying that you know you can be just as good a Christian as staying at home. Or, and worshiping on your back porch and looking at the beauty of nature as you can in going to church and receiving the sacraments. Well, friends, that's a theological position that politicians are pushing that I don't happen to agree with. And yet we're now having, under the guise of health care, some political leaders imposing a theological worldview, which is their worldview and not my worldview. And that is so foreign to what we understand ourselves as being Americans, of being free men and women. Um, well, hey, our hey, ancestors hey. did not sign the Mayflower <laughs> Compact 400 years oh, ago, to be told by Nancy Pelosi, when we can and we can't go to church. Well, I'm I not picking on Nancy Pelosi, but no, it's that whole movement. It is the movement. I mean, we've re reached the point, you know, we used to say, well, Republican in name only. Well, that guy, he's a Democrat in name only. Well, now we are full of Christians in name only, this nation, this world, where people, they, they believe in the concept of God. They believe in the concept of Christ and the gospel and, and, and salvation, but they don't take the, the next step and, and have conviction of that. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit is not convicting them and enlightening them. Uh, and I think that's the place we are now uh, as far as what the church is to do in response to COVID, what the church is to do in response to what's happening in our nations and our world. I want to move a little bit on to talking about uh, kind of the, the, 
the blocking by social media of uh, President Trump and some other conservatives. Uh, but before I get there, I thought we'd talk a little bit more religious news. And I hate to do this, but there's Roman Catholic news that I think is pretty important. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about Pope Francis. Uh, it says it's now okay for uh, uh, women and girls to uh, read and uh, perform within the service. And I thought you could bring us up to that, George. Well, we are, please, we're going to say this right now. And Kevin, if you can have a flashing subtitle. <laughs> We are not against girl acolytes. No, we are not against girl acolytes. Come to my church. Well, before COVID, if you right. came to my church, you would see girl acolytes and women lay readers. Right. We are not that. We are opposed to going outside the normative changing functions within a church. Pope Francis, uh, on the 11th of January, issued a multi-approval well, I'm mangling the phrase. Yeah, he, he, he issued an edict saying that uh, women may be may exercise uh, uh, minor orders at the altar. Mm -hmm. Now, for many American Roman Catholics or European Roman Catholics, well, well, wait, what's, what's this all deal? about? Yeah, there have been girls acting as acolytes ever since I can remember. Well, that's true. But it was not a, but it was contrary to, to the canon law. And what Pope Francis has done is Pope Francis is continuing his Episcopal uh, Church of the USA uh, emulation. That's he, the only word okay, I can. Okay, no Anglican wannabe. We said this before. Pope Francis is an Anglican wannabe. The Anglican way is that. You do something wrong, and you do it long enough until it becomes normative. Then, without any debate or theological discussion, we make it normal. Women priests. So debate starts. Yeah. Then uh, a few retired bishops decide, well, we're not going to wait any longer. They ordain 11 women. The women are priests, and the issue is forced. Gay marriage. We're debating this. We're discussing this. Well... The Bishop of Massachusetts will perform a gay marriage for his canon to the ordinary and the dean of the Episcopal Divinity School. It's against canon law. It's against the prayer book. No consequences. And eventually it becomes normative. normative yeah. Girl acolytes have been, have been normative in many parts of the Catholic world. And now Francis has normalized it without going through the, why are we making this change? Now, again, I'm not talking about girl acolytes. I'm talking about the worldview is that since everybody does it, we might as well do it too. And that has been, that mindset has been the destruction of the Episcopal Church that has... Uh, the Episcopal Church is rivaling the NBA and the NFL in its ability to push away viewers, okay? Yes. <laughs> uh, the NBA may have lost 40% of its viewers in one season. We can't top that. But in 40 years, we've lost 40% of our viewers. Uh, part of it has been that it's become, it was the church of what's happening now. The church that was the trendiest, the church that was doing the most cutting edge thing. And people said, fine, I don't need that. I can go to another church or I'll just stay home until they get their act together. My 
warning to my Catholic friends and whom I'd give advice to the Catholics is Francis has, it, Francis has adopted this Episcopal strategy, this Anglican wannabe strategy hmm. with acolytes and with lay readers. And other things too. I mean, the, all we're saying is once you go outside of the normal uh, procedures for changing doctrine or changing uh, teachings and changing canons, uh, that's where the trouble really begins. The Episcopal Church went outside of the procedures for changing canons. They just adopted normative uh, secular behavior and said that's going to be within our church and we're not going to really debate it. Uh, and that's... Go ahead. Well, it's, see, it, it's the worldview. Kevin and I have a particular worldview, which some of our viewers will find objectionable. Mm -hmm. We put a premium on systems. What does that mean? We put premium on this is how we do things to achieve an end that we want. Let's say we value, let's say we want to discuss gay marriage. Okay, here is the system in which we discuss it. We'll go back and forth and we'll come to a resolution. The system of how you get there is, is, mo is most important. For the progressive, it's the end. Mm -hmm. In other words, what is that that I want to happen and how I don't do I care how I get there. Yeah. And so we've got these sort of a, a conflict between goals and systems what's paramount and you know kevin and i uh believe in the value of systems hmm. of structures that you know change you know reform the structures update the structures but stick to the structures don't just okay uh, here's the goal i want forget the structures i remember when the acna formed and uh some lay people were complaining about somehow the structures were set up where the lay people didn't have a whole lot of influence for the final call. And I said, I don't care as long as they stick to the structure, as long as the House of Bishops of the, uh, of the ACNA follows the discipline and doctrine and the canons that they have before them, all will be well. What we have before is you had the perfect system where the laity had all the say and the clergy had all the say and it was just all, all the decisions were made in this big general convention and it was just all chaos. That perfect system you desired didn't work. Well, Kevin, I think you're a very successful businessman yeah. and it's because you work the system and you know how it works, you know its strengths, you know its weaknesses, but by following the system, You've been able in your early 50s to leave the working world and travel the country in an RV and, and do pretty well. Yeah, I'm an unusual priest because I don't really care about the goals. I want to stick to the systems. So I'm the oddball in my field. And you're the, uh, the norm among entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs. Well, that and my spiritual gift is observation. Uh, whether within the church or whether within uh, secularism, I don't always convey exactly what I see, but I understand what I see. And uh, when I see technology changing, I adopt and I, how can I make money off that? When I see the church changing, I, I say, is the church changing for the good? If not, how can I inform people that they need to be aware of? The purpose of Anglican TV early on was not to uh, censor anybody. The Episcopal Church, when they spoke, I wanted people to see what they were saying. When the leaders of the Episcopal Church said, there's nothing wrong with uh, gay marriage, there's nothing wrong with this, there's nothing wrong with that, I wanted the world to see that, so I'd take my cameras to these events and film it. I want the transparency to be there, because the transparency wasn't there for the Episcopal Church 
uh, ever before Anglican TV. And we put mm -hmm. that in the hands of the lay people and the clergy around the world. That worked well. Some of our viewers may not, who have been new to the show, may not uh, remember that uh, when Rowan Williams came to St. Vladimir Seminary in Briarcliff, New York, about five, six years ago. More than that, eight uh, years ago. Yeah. Eight years ago, uh, Kevin uh, set up with St. Vladimir's to film it. And the Anglican Consultative Council Secretary General Kenneth Kieron told St. Vladimir's if Kevin Carlson is there with his camera, we're not coming. And it's not because Kevin would ask awkward questions or be a, you know, a Jacob, Jake Tapper, you know, and sort of argue with the president at a, at a press conference. Rather, all Kevin would be doing would be film what was publicly said and then show it to the world. And they didn't want that. They didn't and, want that. And, well, uh, that's your story. I just stole it from you. <laughs> no, that's why I know. If I, if I tell that story, it sounds unhumble. Thank you for telling it. I, I don't enjoy uh, telling it. It's just one of those strange stories, uh, like what happened in Jamaica. You know, it just, uh, we were, the, the pushing the red button on my camera is transparency. I don't need to make the commentary. I don't need to even tell you what you're seeing. You will see people take two sides of the same issue. Um, and come to no conclusion and say, well, you know the solution to this, George? Indaba. We'll talk about this again later. And that was how the Anglican Communion continued to operate. Now it's broken, it's torn, and uh, the Episcopal Church has torn the fabric of the Anglican Communion. It, it's torn forever. We see GAFCON trying to rebuild relationships after that. We try uh, to see Justin agreeing with um, the church being completely shut down in the Church of England. Uh, and he's okay with that. So, what, the, the, one of our one of the three original one of the in the current iteration one of the three original co-hosts of Anglican Unscripted was A.S. Alan Haley. A.S. Haley, he's now semi-retired and traveling the country in a giant silver looks, airstream. Uh, airstream. Uh, looks like a aluminum cocoon. It's an airstream. But, They're awesome. <laughs> well, Alan is a lawyer, and he's a very good lawyer. He's one of the best. He's probably the smartest fellow I know. And part of Alan's frustration with the Episcopal Church was that its inability to play by the rules, the rules of legal procedure, the rules of parliamentary procedure, the rules of fair play. So that when Bob Duncan was kicked out of the House of Bishops, well, parliamentary procedure said that it had to be by a majority of all the members of the House of Bishops. Well, the Episcopal Church at that meeting said, no, it's not a majority of all the bishops. It's just the majority of the people in the room right now. And so Bob Duncan was expelled in a fraudulent way. And uh, we have better examples of that. The canons of the Episcopal Church says they cannot sue. In the last 15 years, they've spent $30 million suing people. <laughs> Or, or in the Bishop Love case, yes. um, you know, the facts are, the facts don't matter. We're going to get rid of Bishop Love because he's offended the gay lobby. Uh, the authors, you know, he did, there's no, uh, well, and, and part of Alan's, uh, you know, he's retired, but part of his withdrawal has just the lack, they're not, they don't play by the rules. So why should you play the game anymore? Yeah. And that's I'm speaking why, for him, and I, I don't mean to. But well, that that was our introduction here with the the Roman Catholic Church. 
I have no, I don't care that you're changing things. I care how you change things. Because once you st start doing things by fiat, it, it's all over. We saw it with the Episcopal Church. We've seen it with other pick, uh, churches. We've seen it with other nations. You don't allow decision by fiat. You, you put together a system. Here we have a, a, a republic. We have uh, three branches of government. It's a system that works when used properly. So, you know, we shall have to see what happens uh, with the Roman Catholic Church further. Um, what's up? You frozen or something? You're looking strangely around here. Something is just hap You're happened. You're still there. Huh? I'm here. I had, I thank you, Mr. Apple, for updating, <laughs> trying to update my computer in the middle of the broadcast. Something okay. was trying to update. So whether it was webcast or whoever, what, why? So well, I'm back. Let's talk popular politics. It's it's time to get back to the topic of the day, and that is freedom of speech. Do we have it? Uh, none of the none of what we find here in America is guaranteed in Scripture. Uh, there's no bill of rights uh, for people who become Christians, uh, and there's no more uh, succinct description of what. Christian life was in the, the first, second, third generation of the church than the book of Acts. Times were tough. But the church grew really well under those times. So I don't think God needs us to have the Bill of Rights in order to grow the church. However, part of the system here in America is we have a Bill of Rights. And as Americans, we have uh, the ability to claim those rights. These are rights afforded to me under the, uh, the U.S. Constitution. And what we have in the last uh, 20 years is tech corporations becoming social media uh, dominant to where they can control who has the right to speak and what they speak. I'm speaking you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Amazon and Apple. You know, Amazon and Apple, where we had enjoyed for so many years being on Facebook. I love being on Facebook. If anybody follows me on Facebook, Kevin, you post like twice a day. Sometimes it's annoying. Sometimes it's fun. And why are you you're so, you're so sardonic? You know, I, I read it and I go, that's funny, but I can't say anything because you're calling me out. That's the way. Yeah, I, we're going to retape this, just this part. Three, two, one. So let's move on to our next topic, and that's freedom of speech. Before I get too far into this, freedom of speech and the Bill of Rights and what we were afforded through the U.S. Constitution here as Americans is wonderful. Uh, it helps protect those who have uh, beliefs the same as mine and beliefs that are different than mine. Uh, there is a protection for all citizens to believe what they want, to speak as they want, to assemble as they want, to assemble with who they want. It's a wonderful part, and to be gun owners, it's a wonderful thing that we have in this country. Over the last 20 years, we have allowed technology companies to help promote speech in social aspects. I'm talking Facebook, Instagram, Amazon, Twitter. You, you go through, there's like a dozen great places you can go and you can have free speech. You can express yourself up to a point. There's freedom within limits. You can't. Uh, as the U.S. Supreme Court says, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Um, that's not freedom of speech. And to the best of their ability, 
Facebook and other social media platforms have tried to really uh, cultivate an area where you can go and express yourself freely, but not start another Nazi party or war. And they've done and been successful for a long period of time until four years ago when somebody that was very popular came to the platform and was speaking and uh, he was going around the norms of uh, how people were getting information. He was subverting the media class, the New York Times, the Washington Post and CNN and CBS News and how people used to get information filtered. And he was just speaking clearly through Twitter what he thought. Well, I don't think Trump ever spoke clearly, clearly, but he spoke to the best of his ability. Now, the media class and the social networking class and the tech class have said, enough. We think that his speech has caused disruption within the American way, and we need to censor it. And we need to stop um, uh, his collusiveness with his people in causing disruption uh, like we saw at the U.S. Capitol. Before we go any further, what happened at the U.S. Capitol, and we don't know the details yet, was horrible. Nobody is allowed to break into a building, uh, hurt and kill officers, cause destruction, um, and do all that. We are withholding a, a, a lot of judgment because we don't have a lot of answers yet. Uh, you and I were a little too quick when we talked about what happened in Minnesota, and we, you know, we 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 took the the wrong side because you know, a year ago. Now we know more. I, I just want to be more clear that we don't have all the the information yet on the U.S. Capitol. George and I are are just saying what happened there was horrible. Let's find out what happened. That's all we're saying. Well, my understanding is that uh, it wasn't actually a Trump mob or an Antifa mob at the Capitol. It was actually a mob of Arminians because they were protesting the <laughs> doctrine of election. Not Thanks, the George. U.S. election with Trump. They were protesting the doctrine of election. And yeah, okay. therefore, it, it, you know, they were holding up signs, it is not God's will, free will. <laughs> um, now, but it's also, I've also heard that it was uh, uh, Calvinists disguised Calvinist. as Arminians. And there may be something to that because a lot of these guys had beards and smug looks on their faces. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the mark of a Calvinist. <laughs> so I, I'm more inclined to see it not as a political issue, but as a theological, a theological Arminians issue. versus Calvinists. Sure. And, yeah, absolutely. So George and I are going to talk about free speech here, uh, but more in terms of who's allowed to distribute free speech. Our platforms that are uh, publicly traded on the stock exchange allow to uh, deny people the right to free speech and do it inconsistently. Who is the leader of Iran right now? Some Muhammad, somebody, somebody, somebody. On his Twitter feed, he talks all the time about uh, the annihilation of Israel. And death how to the Jews. Death to the Jews and how wonderful the Holocaust was. And every time there's a terrorist attack, he, he's there cheering it on. He has never had, well, he, like recently they clamped down on him, but nobody said a word about Muhammad, whatever his name is. Um, and so when people see that social media shut down Trump, Europe is aghast, Fr France is uh, freaking out, uh, Germany is like, what are you doing? Canada's like, you can't do this to your president. You, you, 
you know, it's not consistent with other leaders around the world who are worse than Trump. It's akin to having Bell Telephone listening to your phone call and saying, well, we don't like what you're saying. We're cutting off your phone service. The part of the government response is, is the social media a utility that needs to be governed by utility laws because it operates a monopoly practice and it's a platform for, or is it a content provider? Mm. Now, the the social media companies get it both ways. Under this Section 230 issue, you may have heard that in the news, sure. they, they are not held uh, liable. They're not considered content providers. Um, but they're also, at the same time, given the right that a magazine editor has to censor content. They're the only institution that get it, gets it both ways, coming and going. Well, so, well, so they and and the, what's happened is that they have abused this right of sent, you know, colluding with Amazon and Apple and now PayPal and some of the Mastercard, Mastercard, colluding to shut down the Parler uh, app app, mm -hmm. which is a mostly conservative uh, group on internet, uh, shutting down. Uh, you know, the Republican National Committee's credit card acceptance so that you can't buy Trump memorabilia, you know, to fund the Republican National Committee. The MasterCard has pulled the plug on that, and PayPal has pulled the plug on other uh, Trump-related things. Uh, it was uh, five years ago that the governor of New York came down on the NRA and made sure that no law firm would represent them and no bank would hold their money. Uh, no, insurance, no. no insurance would insure them. Now, I, I want to take... I, I wonder, though, if, if Amazon is going to uh, shut down... Amazon uh, web hosting is going to shut down Amazon.com for selling Donald Trump's book, The Art of the Deal. Um, well, yeah. that's still, you can still buy that on one part of Amazon, but you can't talk about it on another part of Amazon. If you go back in the, in the late, late 90s, the, the very genesis of Amazon was to provide a better way for people to get content through books. Uh, that they couldn't get through Barnes and Noble. We're going to provide every book possible so people could to to have the free flow of ideas. We're going to be as app, you, know, you can buy any book you want and be absolutely as free about that. Facebook Genesis was well, sadly, <laughs> was so Elon for uh, the founder of Facebook to be able to look at girl pictures from Harvard, but that's different. Um, so when we put together all of social media. And I, I'm only talking public tra uh, traded companies here in, in, in Section 230. Private companies like myself, I think I'm allowed to choose who my customers are. And I've done so since day one. Um, but I, I want to be sure that we, we discuss this private versus public. These are publicly traded companies. And the U.S. Supreme Court says a private company, a private baker, a private Kevin Coulson Industries are allowed to choose who we do uh, transactions with. To a point to where a point. UPS, for instance, is a private company, mm -hmm. but it cannot refuse services based on race or, in other words, it can't say, okay, UPS, we're not going to ship the pack. We're not allowing, we're, we're going to put a sign in the door saying no blacks allowed. Mm -hmm. or no conservatives allowed, sure. or no Trump supporters allowed. Mm -hmm. In other words, there's certain protections against discrimination. But if you're a, but if you are a cake baker and you decline mm -hmm. to offer your services to somebody who wants you to uh, 
if you're, you know, we have these cake cases in England and in Colorado, I'm sorry, Northern Ireland and Colorado of bakers who consider themselves art artists in pastry sure. who do not feel called to make a cake for a gay wedding when they believe that it's more irreprehensible. Well, they don't feel called to decorate the cake. They would De decorate the cake. Yeah, you know, they would certainly bake it and deliver it, but they don't want to put their art into it. Mm -hmm. um, now, I'm going to take these you, you back a long time ago. In 1991, I owned a disc jockey company. And uh, I was contacted at one point by a swingers club, club. I didn't know there was a swingers club in Huntsville, Alabama. But apparently there was a large swingers club. And they wanted me to uh, do a show for them as a disc jockey at one of their swinger events. And as a Christian at the time, I explained I could not, uh, would not, but I would find, you know, they don't have to make another phone call. I would call other people and, and find somebody who would do that for them. This wonderful transaction that we had uh, verbally, and they understood my point of view, I understood their point of view. They understood that I went the, uh, the, the extra way to find somebody, to, they didn't have to keep calling around. Um, it worked out really well as a way for me to witness to them. Um, it, it, it was a. It, it, I, I look back at fondly as a, one of the strangest phone calls I've ever had. One of the longer lasting relationships and friendships I developed from Huntsville at the time was the president of the Swingers Club. Thank you, God. <laughs> and so we found them a, D, a DJ who would uh, perform for them, and, and that's fine. However, you're really making me interested about Huntsville nightlife. What's the. <laughs> Huntsville, Alabama, Rocket City. Um, and so, it, in as such, um, I, at that point, I was choosing who I was willing to work with and, and uh, be a DJ. I was able to choose my customer. I still do that today. If a company ca uh, calls, a, if um, it's called Pornhub, if Pornhub called and said, Kevin, we need your IT services, no, you know you don't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I would be choosing my customers. I was a private company I'm allowed to do that. So I, that's why I wanted to to put the, the distinction between public and private, and yes, UPS would be a, a distinction in that. Well, the, the uh, tech the, giants this past weekend have shut down, or attempted to shut down, uh, a number of outlets who with whose view, in other words, Facebook has, uh, any, if you write, uh, something like steal, uh, fight the steal, or whatever the phrase is that those who protest stop the election the steal, are using. It, yeah. Stop the steal. Yeah. If you have any stop the steal contact on your f content on your Facebook page, they're going to run an algorithm before the inauguration to mm -hmm. remove it. Um, they're not permitting certain forms of speech and discourse. And this is not anti-Semitic hatred or, or, or neo-Nazi ravings. It's part of legitimate discourse that uh, tens of millions of people believe to be valid and true sure. they're being demonized and told that such language is so horrible that it is on par with using racist swear words or uh, kill the Jews or something kill like the that Jews. Yeah. and the uh, one of our viewers uh, told us that uh, it, in the past Anglican Unscripted has been censored we were I don't think we were we we haven't been a, uh, viewable from China in a long time, correct? Because we've talked about that issue. Jesus. Every so every so often uh, we get banned in Pakistan because we talk about Islam and 
-hmm. when we were talking about the Charlie Hebdo cartoons, I think we were banned in a lot of the Arab countries. But those were temporary and they were issue driven and they were political. Chinese don't like political criticism. Um, One of our viewers told us this past weekend, uh, our New Zealand, uh, in a viewer in New Zealand, looked on us on, was it YouTube or Facebook? One of the two. Well, we we came with a warning. We have a warning now. We now have a warning sign that just like Donald Trump used to be on Twitter, you know, have a little disclaimer underneath that this may not be true. Anglican Unscripted may not be true. Well, and here, let's take the whole conversation back to the U.S. Constitution. The U.S. Constitution allows for those who believe the the election was stolen to believe that, to express that, to speak that, um, to have peaceful demonstrations on that knowledge or that belief. The U.S. Constitution allows for those who won the election to believe they won the election, uh, to gather together to celebrate that um, and to continue on within the uh, three branches of government to move their candidate who, uh, for all intents and purposes, won the election. And, you know, the, the U.S. Constitution wants us to move on. We can still have our beliefs and our protest, peaceful protest, and it's all protected. But it's designed to keep things moving. And the best way to change things in America is through the process the legislative, the judicial, and the executive, not through fiat, not through violence, not through um, uh, just being speaking heads on the air. Like or Georgia. by or health uh, or government yes. politicians right. using an excuse of a public health crisis mm-hmm. to control assembly, thought, speech. It's okay for a strip club and a casino to be open in Nevada but it's not okay for a church to be open in Nevada. Yeah. Just so happens the churches are, are fighting the governor while the strip clubs and the casinos support the governor. Um, it's, we're not, we're, folks, we don't seem to be in America anymore. No, we've gone COVID crazy, George. Ah, yeah, now this week's topic was, was not religious in aspect, but it was religious in tone. I want to assure you that the gospel does not need the U.S. Constitution to thrive in the hearts of the lost. Okay, God never needed it to spread the gospel. However, as an American citizen, I love the Constitution, I love the Bill of Rights, and I don't want to give that up. And I would hope that you guys in Anglican land would agree with me. George, any other topics we want to hit up? Yeah, no, no Indian corruption. We have American corruption. We, we, we got it covered. <laughs> I'm Kevin Coulson. I'm George Conger, and you've been watching episode 640 of Anglican Unscripted.